It is a delight to have Paul and Martha Davis with us for this missions conference. Uh, they have been keynote speakers before and are back again. Uh, the Davises are serving with ABWE almost seven years now. And uh, they had uh, 29 years in pastoral ministry, 21 of which was in the Holland area. So let's give them a warm welcome. Would you stand, please? Good to have you here. I said, stand, please, and everyone started standing. <laughs> Let's pray. Our great God and our Father, whose name is Almighty, we come before you asking for your blessing upon our time of worship. We pray, Lord, as Paul comes to open up the word of God, that our hearts would be stirred, that we might see Christ, that we, might, we might see the need of the nations, and realize the vital role we play in living in such a way and telling the story so clearly that others will hear, that the peoples will praise you and the nations will fear. Lord, we understand in our own country there are some who come to church on a regular basis who have never trusted you. So I pray that you'll work in the hearts of people today, especially those who don't know Christ. And Lord, may it be our joy and privilege to point them to the Lord Jesus. As we bow before you, Lord, it's our desire that we will worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you will be glorified. To that end, we pray in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you again this morning. It's good to uh, be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to be in Lansing, Michigan, in this rainy weather. <laughs> I'm glad that I was rooting for the right team yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's pray. Shall we? <laughs> oh... I'm going to be rooting for the right team today, though. Praise the Lord. Well, hey, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you, South Church, for your partnership in the gospel. And thank you for partnering with ABWE. And uh, ABWE is a global family of ministries. Uh, you may be supporting an ABWE missionary and not even knowing it as, as you support Live Global works around the globe. And, and uh, you've given a gift to the Afghan Initiative, which is an, an amazing uh, work that's happening in Atlanta right now as we have former Afghan refugees who uh, were trained ministers of the gospel uh, serving as ABWE missionaries alongside North American missionaries to reach the Afghan community that's in Atlanta right now. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity that God has chosen to, uh, uh, to use for his honor and glory. And men and women are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Afghan uh, believers, there's a community forming in Atlanta right now. So you can, uh, you can pray for them. Thank you for your faithful support of missions uh, in general, walking around and seeing the different tables and the different ministries. What a, 
What a potpourri of wonderful ministries that you've chosen to, uh, uh, to support from translation work to, to church planting to uh, a clay center that's in, uh, in Thailand, and, and uh, we're grateful to be a part of that. Pastor read this morning that one of the reasons why we pray for the Lord to shine his face upon us or to lift up his countenance in our presence is so that the nations will know. And that's never been more important than today. And I'm, I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you, and I know sometimes numbers, uh, when we do that, sometimes our eyes glaze over at some numbers, but I want to give you some numbers. There's some big numbers. 3.14 billion people do not know the name of Jesus Christ. 3.14 billion people. Now, I don't know if you can get your head around 3.14 billion people. It's hard for me to get my head around it. But this is, this is one of the ways that's, that's helped me see the vastness of this number and the urgent need for us as believers to be obedient to what God has called us to. And that's this. If, if we started leading people to Christ, one a second, and if there were 3.14 million people that needed Christ, we could see that goal met a little bit after Christmas time, if there were 3.14 million people. But there are 3.14 billion people who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, they're living in a place that does not have any Bibles, that does not have any churches, and that has very few, if any, believers. As a matter of fact, 86%, almost 90% of those 3.14 billion people that exist in the world today that do not know Jesus Christ, 86% of them will never meet a Christian in their lifetime. You see, if you grow up in a Hindu country, you have a 90% chance of never meeting a Christian in your lifetime, let alone hearing the gospel or knowing what's different about someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll never even cross their path. And there are 3.14 billion people. If we were to reach them at the same pace as we did for 3.14 million, it would take us 100 years for them to come to faith in Christ. I don't say that and share that statistic with you to discourage you. I share that with us for us to get a scope, for us to get an idea of the vastness of the task that lies ahead of us. In 2 Corinthians, God's word tells us that we are God's ambassadors. That how is God going to make his appeal to those nations? How is he going to make his appeal to those people? It will be through his ambassadors. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been called to action. And God's people are stepping up in amazing ways. Before I get into the text this morning, and you can take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, 
surprise, the, the president of a missions organization is going to speak on the Great Commission this morning. I know, you didn't expect that. Would you like to hear some, just, just some good news? And this is, thank you. Okay, I'm going to share you some. ABWE has been sending missionaries to Japan for almost 50 years. But one of the things that happened in Japan is that uh, about a decade ago, we sent our last missionary there. So it had been almost a decade since ABWE had sent a missionary to Japan. Japan is the second largest unreached people group in the world. The second largest unreached people, the Bengali people are the first, the, the, the largest unreached people group in the world. Second largest unreached people group in the world, the Japanese people. And it's interesting because, you know, if you want to be a missionary today and if you want to go to the Bengali people, it's very difficult. As a matter of fact, you probably have to actually be or do something else and come in as a believer in Jesus Christ and just share Christ. You, you can't go to a Ben. Can't, can't go to a Hindu country or a Muslim country and, and just be a missionary. In Japan, if you wanted to be a missionary and just go to Japan, you can get a visa to be a missionary in Japan. It's not difficult to get to Japan. Yet we've been sending missionaries to Japan for hundreds of years, ABWE for 50 years, and something had happened about a decade ago... Um, our missionary pool dried up going to Japan. And it had been almost a decade since we had sent a new missionary to Japan. And one of the things that we know about the churches that do exist in Japan is that most of them were begun right after World War II, after World War II ended, and as Japan was rebuilding, many American missionaries went over to Japan and planted churches. And those churches are, are still around but the average age of the pastor in Japan, 82. 82 years old. And we believe in the next five to seven years, the majority of pastors, or at least 50% of the, if the average age is 82, that means you know half of them are older than 82, half of them are younger than 82. But we, we think there's going to be a significant portion of pastors and churches that will be leaderless in the next five to seven years. And so as an organization, we began praying as a part of our, what we're calling our open initiative to open new fields. We began praying specifically for Tokyo, the city of Tokyo, the, the hub, the, the, the mecca, you, would, you might say, of Japan where uh, the majority of people live, where those churches are that have the 82-year-old the pastors. And, but these churches are, are small churches and they're struggling. And, and we began praying, Lord, would you send fresh leadership that we could begin working with those past, pastors, begin working with those churches and revitalize them and, and build them up and, and cause them to be church planting churches. And, and we started praying and, and lo and behold, our first missionary in a decade stepped up to the plate. What an answer to prayer. And then another family stepped up. And I began thinking to myself, Lord, thank you for answering prayer. Two families stepped up, and then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth, and then a sixth, and then a seventh, and an eighth. And I thought to myself, eight? That's amazing. 
Like, Lord, you, you abundantly answered our prayer. Owe me a little faith, president of a mission agency, and you don't even believe that God can raise up eight missionaries. And then the ninth one came, and the tenth, and the eleventh. And there already through pre-field ministry, and they're, they're already, almost all of those first 11, notice I said first 11, have raised their support and they're getting ready to launch to the field as we speak today. I thought to myself, 11, man, God still works. 11, you, you pray, and listen, we weren't doing anything new recruiting-wise. ABW didn't, we didn't do a full on, you didn't get a note from me, pastor, saying, hey, we need Japan missionaries. We just began praying the Lord of the harvest earnestly to send laborers to Japan. Eleven are ready to go. And we have another eleven that are in the pipeline ready to go. That Church is what happens when people of God begin praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. I can't explain it any other way. We hadn't sent a missionary in a decade, and now we have probably within the next 18 months, we'll have 22 new missionaries headed to Japan or in Japan. It makes you think God's still at work, doesn't it? And I wish I could tell you, there's a, there's a country, I wish I could tell you the name of the country. We're online, I'm not gonna do it. There's a country, that's a Muslim country, that if I told you the name, you'd be like, okay, what's happening, what's happening there? There's a little church that one of our missionaries and, and has been working together and They've grown a little church, and this church is, has 35 people in it. Now, if I told you the name of the country, you'd be like, 35, that's, that's great in this country. And it is, it's an amazing church. The most amazing thing, though, is in this last year, they've had 13 baptisms. And, if, and you can imagine, this is a Muslim country. You imagine, in, in this Muslim country, when someone steps up and says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to follow him in believer's baptism and make a public profession of faith, you understand the weight that that carries in the community and within their families. And to see one get baptized is an amazing thing. For this little church of 35 to have 13 baptisms in one year is astonishing. God is at work. And this morning, I want to do something um, at the risk of handling a very familiar passage, the Great Commission. I wish you would pray this this morning. We're going to take a look at the Great Commission. And I, I, I wonder if you would pray this prayer with me this morning and say, Lord, would you show me fresh and anew your word this morning? And if the Lord would show you something that you need to grow into your life, reshape your life, if he were to lead you and if the Holy Spirit were to convict you about your finances, 
your time, your talents? Would you be willing to look at those and and make changes based upon what you hear and see in the word of God this morning? You're in Matthew chapter 28. We're gonna actually start in verse 16 because I want to give you the context of the Great Commission. Sometimes we, we jump into the, the, the Great Commission and we don't realize where it is in time and history. Uh, what has happened is the disciples have just gone through the worst three days of their lives. They had given their lives to follow Jesus Christ. Think of, think of the sacrifices that, that these fishermen and, and carpenters and made to follow Jesus Christ. They've given the last three years of their life, they've been following him around. They've watched Jesus walk on the water, and one of them even joined him, right? They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Some of them were there on the mount when Jesus was transfigured, when Elisha and Moses showed up. These disciples were all in, and yet, Three days before they saw Jesus crucified, beaten, mocked, scourged, a crown of thorns on his hand, nails through his hands and feet. And they were devastated. Peter to the point of even swearing that he had never known Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the stories begin to percolate. Some, some of the women come to the disciples, and, and, and they say, we've, we've seen Jesus. And some of, the, some of the disciples come back, and they say, we've seen Jesus. And, and so there's this, this groundswell of hope that's happening in the lives of the disciples at, at this very moment where we come to the passage. So, so I want you to think of this text as there, there, there's this underline, there's stories. Not all of the disciples have seen Jesus yet. Some of them have. Some of them are talking. There's excitement. And Jesus has told the, the disciples to meet him in Galilee. So I can imagine those that have seen him are just like, he's coming. He's, he's already here. I've already seen. I mean, I was talking to him earlier. You know, he's, he's doing good. And some of the other ones are just like, we haven't seen him. And so we get to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some what class? I just want to stop right there. Because this passage right here, that, that phrase right there gives me hope. It gives me hope because whatever Jesus is going to say next, it's going to be for two groups of disciples. It's going to be for a group of disciples that as soon as they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. I I think these are the disciples that it all made sense. As soon as they saw Jesus, everything lined up in their head that they had heard Jesus saying. We saw his miracles, we heard his preaching, and he kept saying that this temple would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, and that, that that he would die and that he would rise again. And the disciples were just worshiping him. They're just like, yeah, that makes complete sense. It just all fell into place as soon as I saw him alive. But then there was another group of disciples that were just like, 
I don't know what's going on here. I'm so happy to see Jesus. I don't know what's going on. And the reason that gives me hope is this, is because we know that Jesus is going to deliver the Great Commission next. And the Great Commission is for those believers who are worshiping Jesus, who, 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 whose lives are in place and everything is falling into place and, and they're understanding where they are and where they fit in, in God's kingdom and they're worshiping and they're falling down at Jesus' feet, we know from other passages. But the Great Commission is also for those who don't have it all figured out. The Great Commission is for those believers who are still putting the pieces together in their lives. They don't have their lives all straight and and correct and and everything in its proper place and and they're still working things out. We know, poor Thomas, the, the word here that we see that some doubted, that's a plural there. That means doubting Thomas wasn't the only guy who was doubting Poor Thomas gets the bad rap, right? And Thomas is like, you don't understand what I saw three days ago. If you saw what I saw three days ago, you'd be doubting too. And Jesus is, he's going to address Peter's doubts for sure. He's going to have Peter touch his hand and his side and he's going to work on Peter's doubts. But listen, he's going to give the great commission to those who are ready and worshiping and those who have some things still to work out. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that God wants to use all of his children. That the great commission isn't just for those who have it all together but that there's room in the Great Commission for those who have some growth to do. Those who have some room to line up some things in their lives. And then Jesus says something interesting. And and I do this in churches sometimes. I would never do this to you. But I do this, I I say, okay, we're gonna say the Great Commission together. And I say, let's first of all, let's just get the, let's make sure we know what the first word in the Great Commission is. And so let's say the Great Commission all together now. Ready? First word is, ready? On your mark, get set. Yeah, everyone says go. But, uh, the first word of the Great Commission is not go, class. Now, I, I kind of set people up by saying, ready, set, yeah. The first word of the Great Commission is what, class? All. All. Before Jesus lays out the mission, he establishes something in the minds of his disciples. And what he establishes is where all of the authority lies. Where does all of the authority in heaven and earth lie, class? With Jesus Christ. He states it clearly to his disciples. And it's interesting to me that he starts here. Because he could just say to his disciples, some that are doubting, some that have it all together, he could just say to his disciples, listen, I'm back Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he could say that. But before he does that, he says, wait a minute. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
when one of my daughters was about 13 years old, um, she told me one Friday night that uh, she wanted to come home at 11 o'clock. And, uh, and I said, 10 o'clock sounds great. Let's plan on 10 o'clock. And, and she's like, Dad, it's going to be 11 o'clock. And I said, honey, no, 10 o'clock. And she said, but Dad, nothing you know, fun starts happening until 10 o'clock. And, and I said, no, I mean, you, you need to come home at 10 o'clock. And she said, 11. I said, 10. She said, 11. We had an argument is what we had. Until I finally said, honey, I'm your father. You're going to come home at 10 o'clock. And what I shared with her is I established where her authority was. And Jesus is gently but clearly communicating to his disciples where the authority in this world lies, where the authority in this universe lies. And this will be critical because what he says next is going to give the disciples their mission. And can I just say this? This statement, it it may just seem like a lot of times I think we, we, we skip over it, the, all the authority in heaven and earth. We skip over it just to get to the good stuff, the mission. You know, This first statement becomes critical when you start going to difficult places. When you start as a church saying, you know what, we're going to send missionaries to a country that it's illegal to be a missionary. You know, you've got some ethical issues to work through with that. Because we're told in Romans chapter 13, we're, we're told in, in, in multiple passages all over the, the New Testament that we're to obey those in authority over us, right? And, and you're going to go in and you're going to send a missionary to a country where it's illegal to be a missionary. You're going to send someone there and you're going you're to tell them to share Jesus Christ in, in a country where it's against the law to proselytize, it's against the law to, for someone to share their faith in Jesus Christ for the purpose of winning them to Jesus Christ. There are multiple countries around the globe that that's illegal to do. How, how do you justify that? Like, where do the ethics fall in this? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Yes, there is earthly authority, but earthly authority falls under whose authority? Jesus's authority. And so this becomes critical for the, for the church to understand her mission. Can the church go to a place where the gospel is not welcome? The answer is, under the authority of King Jesus, yes. Can a missionary share their faith in Jesus Christ for the purpose of winning a person to Jesus Christ, to having their sins forgiven and their life renewed and their minds made new and their hearts transformed. Can, can someone share the good news of Jesus Christ under King Jesus? Yes. And so we need to know where our authority comes from if we're going to understand our mission clearly. And so then Jesus goes on and he shares the great commission and, and now the first word of the, the, the commission, the, the mission is, is go. 
right? Therefore, and make disciples. Um, I, I do want to get a little bit grammatical here this morning. Can, can we do that? You know, do we have an English teacher in the house? Nobody that will admit to it. Okay. Um, no, no, no. That's not nice. Don't say that. The subject of the Great Commission and the verb of the Great Commission. Now, the verb of the Great Commission, uh, you know this in a sentence. The, the verb is the action. Like, what is Jesus telling us to do missionally? What is the action? And so we're going to look for an action word here that's going to give us our marching orders. And, and if you look at the, the phrase, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. There's multiple words there that are verbs, they're, they're action words there. And what is the main subject of the sentence? And a lot of times I'll take churches and I'll say, well, let's say it together and I'll go one, two, three, ready or ready, set, and let's say it together. And everybody will say the word. What do you think everybody says the word? Go. Yeah. The main verb of the sentence, though, is make disciples. Your mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ in its simplest form, is to make disciples. Make disciples. And sometimes I think we overcomplicate great commissions. The other day I was watching the Food Channel, and they were, there was a show on there, How to Make a Grilled Cheese Sandwich. And there was this, and you, some of you saw it, right? And, uh, and they said this, you need to get nine grain bread, and then when you get nine grain bread, you have to, Get some ghee. Now, I don't even know what ghee is, but get some ghee and you need to spread it on that nine grain bread. And then you need to use a Gruyere cheese, a, preferably a smoked Gruyere cheese, and put it on that seven grain bread and then put it in a panini press because we all have one in our house and put it in a panini press and make a grilled cheese. Look, don't overcomplicate a grilled cheese sandwich. Take two pieces of Wonder Bread, <laughs> slap some butter on that thing, and put American cheese on the inside. Stick it on a frying pan. That is the best grilled cheese sandwich you will ever eat in your life. I'm telling you. Let's not overcomplicate it with the panini press. Sometimes I think we as disciples of Jesus Christ are overcomplicating the discipleship process. When Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples, what he's saying is, look, recreate in another person what's already been created in you. What have you learned of the gospel? What have you learned from the scriptures? What have you learned about being a believer in Jesus Christ by living in the community of believers, by being in a church? Recreate that in another person. That's discipleship. And it's interesting because Jesus gives the scope of this, again, simplest form, make disciples. Recreate in another person what's been created in you. And we're to do that of all of who? All the nations. Pastor, can I give you one of my pet peeves? One of the things that 
I hear a lot is when people are talking about the Great Commission, they'll give the Great Commission, the mission is to make disciples. And we're going to talk about going and baptizing and teaching here in just a second. But the mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. And one, one of my pet peeves is this, is as many times pastors will make this illustration, they'll be teaching the Great Commission, we need to be disciple makers, we need to be making disciples. So you need to walk across the street and talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Or, or your coworker at work, you need, to, you need to share your faith with your coworker at work. And, and, and listen, please walk across the street and tell your neighbor about Jesus. Please share your faith with your coworker. But this passage specifically gives the mission to the church of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. That means it's not good enough for me to just walk across the street. Do I, do I need to do it? Yes. But we need to be careful with the Great Commission. We need to be careful not to sugarcoat passages that are actually heavy passages. I think sometimes we, we lighten passages with, with, with a mindset of just, well, I don't want to make it too difficult. I, I want to be careful. And so the app, we soften the applications. Listen, the application for this passage right here, if I was to make an illustration or to make an application here, is this, is not to walk across the street, but listen, for me to fly across the ocean. In Mark 16, 15, Mark's version of the Great Commission. We are to proclaim the gospel to all of creation. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, in Luke's version of the Great Commission, Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations. This is the difficult thing about the Great Commission. This is the reason why your church has a missions conference day, missions conference week. Because the application of the Great Commission church is not just walking across the street, it's flying across the world. And if we're going to be serious about the mission of Jesus Christ, we need to be serious about what Jesus is calling us to. Walk across the street. Share your faith with your coworker. But do not forget about the Japanese people. Do not forget about the Bengali people. Do not forget about the, the Hindus that are, that are literally uh, worshiping hundreds of millions of false idols. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need someone to, here's the next three words, Go. Therefore, and make disciples. The idea of the word go here is to take the initiative. No disciple was ever made without someone taking the initiative to make that disciple. As a matter of fact, the reason why you're here today is because someone took the initiative to make a disciple. 
For me, as a fourth grade boy, there was a 65-year-old man who was teaching fourth grade boys Sunday school. By the way, he had no business teaching fourth grade boys Sunday school. (laughs) But Don Searle was teaching a group of punk fourth grade boys Sunday school. And if there was one thing that Don Searle knew how to do was share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he would read the quarterly, if if you remember the old quarterly, I was a 10-year-old boy who my family wasn't believers at the time and, and I hadn't been really raised in church. So he would read the quarterly and these Old Testament stories that just blew my mind. And then he would tell us about Jesus Christ. He took the initiative to make a disciple of a 10-year-old boy. What Jesus is calling us to is the the idea of going doesn't mean that every single one of us will fly across the world, okay? In Acts chapter 13, when the first two missionaries were called out of the church in Antioch and were told that the church was worshiping together and and they uh, they they were praying together and fasting together and the Holy Spirit picked out Paul and Barnabas and sent Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey ever, And listen, the entire church participated in going. The entire church was taking the initiative. Paul and Barnabas were the ones that were leaving. They were the ones being sent. But the entire church supported Paul and Barnabas. The entire church prayed for Paul and Barnabas. The the entire church took the initiative to send Paul and Barnabas. And churches were planted all over Asia Minor because of that. Church, I want to encourage you as a church... But can I say this as individuals? Can we ask ourselves this question? What initiative am I taking to make disciples of all nations? Some of you need to consider going. Some of you have gifts for ministry that everyone sees. Some of you are so gifted that people around you talk about your gifts for ministry. They see you work with children. They see you work with teenagers. They see you work with adults. They see you uh, musically. They, They see your gifts for ministry and they're thinking in their mind, this person is gifted for ministry. And some of you that are that gifted for ministry, you need to be considered, is the Holy Spirit separating me to go to the nations? And some of you have been blessed financially. Some of you have been blessed financially to the point where you will live far beyond your resources. And you need to be thinking, what initiative do I need to be taking? And some of you might say to yourself, you know, I don't have these amazing gifts for ministry and I don't have this financial wealth. So what can I do? And somebody says, pray. And you think to yourselves, pray. Look, we prayed and a missionary hadn't been sent in a decade and we prayed and 22 people felt called to ministry. Don't say just pray. 
We need to pray. Before Jesus gave the great commission, he gave the command of his disciples, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. The question pastor asked at the very beginning of the service was this, what is your role in the great commission? And if the very center of the great commission is to make disciples, and if the way that we are to make disciples is by going, by taking the initiative, the question you have to ask yourself is if Jesus says go, we need to say how far? How far financially? How far prayerfully? How far physically does God want us to go? And Father, it is not our role this morning to manipulate people, or God forbid we should manipulate your church into giving more or packing up and going somewhere, but Father, we want to leave room for your spirit. It was your spirit who separated out Paul and Barnabas. It was your spirit that called the Philippian church to support the Apostle Paul, not once, but multiple times in his ministry. And Lord, we want to leave room for your spirit this morning to do his work. Lord, would you reveal to us our role in the Great Commission? How is it that we are to be making disciples of all nations? How is it that we are to take the initiative to do that? Lord, you tell us to go and our hearts are declaring to you, Father, how far do you want us to go? Lord, may we be like your son Isaiah, who when you asked who would go for us, he said, here am I, send me. Would you produce that kind of spirit in our heart this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.